You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. What a beautiful space, isn't it? This is such a treat to see the church regathering, second time here at our Westbrook property. Thank you for being with us. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. This is kind of a hinged uh, section in the book of Acts. You're going to see Luke does that intentionally. I would call it a summary passage that really gives us a picture of what the ideal church community looks like. So if you've ever wondered, what does the ideal church community look like in God's sight, this is your go-to passage. And so Acts 2, 41 through 47, I titled this morning's message, if you have your connect card, Mary, Don't Date the Church. Now I struggled uh, to do that because it sounds cliche, but I stuck with it because I really think the contrast between dating and marrying is huge. And in many ways today, there's a lot of dating the church, but not a lot of marrying. So let me unpack that a little bit. Think about dating a little bit. So when you're dating, it's cool, right? You get to know the person, that's fun, that's legit. And, And as you're getting to know a local church, that's part of it. However, one thing falls short with dating. You leave your options open, right, in dating. However, in contrast, marriage suggests a few things. It suggests all in, absolute commitment, covenant love, and maybe that's why Jesus likened the church in the most beautiful way to the bride of Christ. That in some way, we as the bride get married to the bridegroom metaphorically because it's all about a love relationship. Now, I dated. I had the privilege to date Ellen for two years. That was super fun. But let me tell you something. Marrying Ellen is a gazillion. Is that a word? A gazillion times better. A gazillion times a gazillion times better. Amen, Ellen? She puts her head down and ignores me when I do these kind of things. That's just how it works with Ellen. Sorry, honey. Love you, and I'll do the honeydew list when I get home. It's Sunday. So, why marry and not date the church? Here's the dilemma. I've been in Christ 42 years, a pastor 35 years. I've seen a lot of dating in the church. I really have. And why do we date it? I want to give you three reasons. This is kind of a problem-solving sermon, technically. And the first reason that dating happens in the local church is we live in a consumer-driven society. Now, please hear me. I'm not opposed to nice stuff. Look at these cool tents, a beautiful platform sound system. We, we have gifts, and we should use them for the kingdom and glory of God. But when we take the mentality of consumer-driven and apply it to church life, there can be some tensions. Sometimes we have our radio antenna dialed into WIIFM, what's in it for me? 
And church becomes more uh, person-focused than God-focused. If you know our core values, there's six of them. Our first one is God-focused. We're not here as consumers. We're here as worshipers, folks. I had a colleague, dear friend in Minnesota. He told me the story. It's a true story. He said he had a friend who would go to one church in Shakopee, Minnesota for the worship music, leave there, go to McDonald's, get an Egg McMuffin, and head over to another church for the teaching. Mike and I called that ecclesiastical two-timing. Not a good thing, folks. Not a good thing. Land in a local church, and we're going to talk about why. Now, the second reason I think we struggle with marrying and would rather date the church is we like our independence. Today is? Yeah, and thank God for that. And in many positive ways, that is a radical gift. But then the good can also work against us, folks. That's how it is often. And so we like our independence, we like our choices, we like our options. And if something's not clicking, if something's not working, well, you know, there's a church around the corner. We sometimes treat church like I treat coffee. I can go to Scooters, Starbucks, Dunn Brothers. I have, I married a barista, so that's, that should be at the top of the list. You know, the list goes on and on, Coffee Smith. And so we love our options. We love our independence. And yet sometimes that works against us. Someone has said this, that America is a, a, a group of believers, but not belongers. Folks, belonging is essential. It's one of our strategies. Believe, belong, become, bless. Belonging is part of community, and we're going to see that today. And the third reason that I think uh, we're challenged with this idea is that some of us have been hurt in the past. And I want to be sensitive to this point because this point is deeply on my heart. I know the data in Christendom today. Sometimes hurt causes us to just drift from the church completely. You know what? The institution, I'm done. And so we do church on our own. Still love Jesus. Met a fella traveling the past week. Really think Jesus is cool. Just not sure about the church. I get that, folks. And a lot of times it comes through hurt. So let me speak to that as a pastor. I sympathize with the hurt. I really do. We have two family members, Ellen and I, who've experienced some hurts over the years. And they're not today what they once were in the church because of the hurt. I grieve over that, but I know this, and C.S. Lewis nailed it. He says, when you choose to love, it's risky. Would you agree? When you choose to love, it's risky. You can get hurt when you pour yourself out and give in love. But what's the other option? Retreat, distance, not choose to love? And so here we are as the family of God, and we'll deal with the hurts as they come. And West Wind... We've been through some trials and challenges over the years, but you've stayed the course. And thank God for that. And I think you'll grow through those seasons sometimes of pain. And so if you have your Connect card, we want to solve the problem of dating the church. And there's a lot more I could say about that. And uh, really, metaphorically, by analogy, marry the church. So let me share with you the blessing. Hope you have your Connect card. 
And the blessing is this, because the church is the bride, and that's the dominant metaphor. It's a beautiful metaphor. We're the bride, he's the bridegroom, we get married because the church is the bride and body of Christ. Each one of us should choose to marry and not date Christ's church. So I wanna look at three choices, then I'm gonna wrap up with some questions. So let's take a look. Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47, follow along with me. Again, hinge uh, section in Acts, a summary statement in Acts. It's really putting together a lot of data because some great things were happening for the kingdom and glory of God in the church in Jerusalem. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And then notice the summary statement. And they devoted themselves. That word's used twice in this passage. It's a really important word. They were committed. They were all in. They were devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, held all things in common. They sold their possessions, property, distributed proceeds to all. As anyone had need every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple courts, meeting in Jerusalem, the, the beautiful temple uh, for worship, and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. These are not yet Christian people. Their light was shining. They were becoming the salt of the earth as Jesus taught. And every day, the Lord added to those who were being saved. So three things that I think uh, scripture would encourage us to choose from this passage. There's so much we could say. We could spend weeks in this summary statement. But let's hit the highlights of it. Number one, choice number one, prioritize corporate worship in the local church. Prioritize corporate worship in the local church. And why do I say that? Look again at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. There's a beautiful word there, koinonia. We'll talk about that. To the breaking of bread. That's also communion, but it's mealtime. They're eating in homes and to the prayers. If you're taking notes, please uh, write this down. This is the ideal Christian community. This is what God aspires for his church. This kind of devotion Folks, this is God-focused, and it's worship. I hope you realize that you were created for worship. That's by design. That's God's will. Sadly, what happened? The fall, sin enters the world, Romans 5.12, and as sin entered the world through one man, uh, death passed to all. Why? Because we've all sinned. We get that empirically we know we've fallen short of the glory of God, then the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, redemption, salvation, Father, forgive them. And so when we come to genuine faith in Christ, when our sins are forgiven, we've talked much about this already in Acts, we become worshipers of the one true God. Please follow along as I read from John 4. It's one of the key passages about worship in the New Testament given by Jesus. A Samaritan woman was really struggling. Should we worship at Mount Gerizim in, in Samaria or is it really in Jerusalem? Where's the place? Here's what Jesus said. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
notice, when the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth. It's not about location. It's not about Jerusalem or Gerizim and Samaria. For they are the kind of worshipers, notice this, folks, the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him how? In two ways, in spirit and in truth. I want you to know something about the word spirit there. It's small s. There's a real passion for worship. There is a desire for worship. God made us as worshipers, as cravers, as people who long for things, desire for things. The sad thing is when we get off on the idols of this world, we miss the ultimate experience of worship of the one true God. That's why you go back to the Ten Commandments. What does God say? Have no other gods before me. Become a worshiper. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Be passionate about worship. Second thing about worship, worship in truth. Worship according to God's standard, not ours. Friends, I'm connected pretty globally to a number of mission organizations who need teachers and trainers around the world. You know what the number one issue today, globally for Christianity, is false doctrine. The prosperity doctrine is just exploding, and people are buying into that which isn't true and edifying and God-glorifying. When we worship God, we come with passion, but we come with truth. Your word is true. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so we hold high the word of God this morning. And so can I ask a quick question? How do you prepare for Sunday morning corporate worship? Have you ever thought about that? Many years ago, Chuck Swindoll, anybody know that name or am I just like really old? John, me and you, all right, two of us. Let's stick together. Chuck Swindoll got my attention one day and he says, you know what, one of the saddest thing in, in Christendom today is people just do their Saturday night, stay up late, hang out Facebook, two in the morning, drag themselves into worship. Are they ready to give? Are they prioritizing their passion towards God? Are they ready to open the word to think through it? That got my attention, guys. And so I think through Saturday night. We were out last night having a blast. Uh, cool space, a lot of fireworks. And right as the fireworks started to happen, we just had a jet. I had to get home. I had to get to sleep. I had to get ready for worship. You know, you, you push it to all hours. You sleep in. You drag yourself in. Sometimes it's counterproductive. Chuck Swindoll challenges this, prepare for worship. Now, of course, that's Monday through Saturday, but I do think that Saturday night is really crucial. Think through that. But then what about Sunday morning? You know, coming with anticipation, standing in awe of the Lord. God, we're going to meet you. We're going to have community and fellowship. The word is going to be taught. Our hearts are going to be stirred and challenged and motivated. We get to worship you in spirit and in truth. That's a great way to do life. Acts 2 says prioritize worship. Let's keep doing that together. Secondly, choice number two, pursue serving the Lord in and through the local church. Again, I'm going 50,000 feet today, guys. Look at Acts 2, 43 through 45. These are such fun verses. 
Now all the believers were together, held everything in common. They sold their possessions and property, distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. In verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Friends, this is one of those generosity passages. It's the community recognizing God is doing a new thing. And there's a privilege to serve the Lord. Jesus taught the greatest among us will be those who serve. In his final hours, he's washing people's feet. Do to others as I have done to you. So here's the early church. What are they doing? They took a parcel of land, two acres, ground zero in Waukee. Somebody sold it. His name is Barnabas. Took the money and gave it to the apostles that say, bless in Jesus' name. Let the kingdom come. Why were people added? This was organic ministry. This was the people of God responding to the spirit and word of God, opening their hearts, but also their wallets. And the kingdom was coming. And so we have the privilege to serve, to give, to pour ourselves out. Most of you are familiar. We love the idea of time, treasure, talent, touch. It's just a good way to think through life. Given of our time, everybody can do that. Our talent, everybody can do that. Our treasure, yes, you can, because even the widow gave a few pennies and God blessed her and honored her. And our touch, a good word. A word can bring life, folks, but it can also bring death. A good word, a hug, a greeting, a card, a text, thinking of you, praying for you. Man, the time, treasure, talent, touch really works. First Peter says this, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. How? Faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. I love that statement. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. Everyone here is gifted. Time, treasure, talent, touch. Are you faithfully administering God's grace? Every now and then in reading, I stumble across something that just captures my heart. I did that for this talk, and I want to share with you. The gentleman's name is Dr. Paul Tripp. He says this about the local church. I quote him. He says, your life is bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, a non-delinquent kid. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. Through the church, God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them to his kingdom and progressively shaping them into his likeness. And here's the kicker. You and I have the privilege to be a part of it. Isn't that good? Folks, this is about eternity. This isn't just about now, 70, 80, 90 years of existence. We have the privilege to impact people for all eternity. And so as we serve, as we give generously, time, treasure, talent, and touch, we see the kingdom of God come. Pastor Jason mentioned July 18th, we have the journey experience. We really want to encourage you've been here 13 years or 13 days, we want to encourage you, please take the journey experience. It's brand new, folks. Absolutely brand new. About 80 folks have already taken that. We would love for you to participate. Why? 
We want you to serve out of your shape. Shape stands for S, spiritual gifts, H, heart, A, abilities, P, personality, E, experiences. We identify that. It's really helped folks calibrate what it means to serve the Lord. Now, finally, choice number three, and this is a big one because this is hard for some people, especially because of the hurt. So let's take a look. Prayerfully ask the following questions to choose a local church. I get this all the time, folks. So I'm, I'm moving. Hey, pastor, do you, do you have a church you could recommend in so-and-so? New Mexico, Colorado, New York, wherever. People are concerned if they relocate where and what church they should participate in. So I always give a list of questions. So here's six of them. We're going to hit them quick, all right? Worship team, get ready. Now, folks, please know this. New Testament. God in his sovereignty, don't miss this, has chosen the local church to advance the gospel in our Jerusalem, Waukee, our Judea and Samaria, Des Moines and beyond, to the ends of the earth. He has chosen the local church. If we miss that, we miss the boat of the New Testament. Paul wrote epistles to who? Local churches, just like West Wind, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Rome. Churches that are real people, real needs, real issues, he addressed them. Some beautiful Philippians, some hard Galatians, Corinthians, way, way off track. Glad I haven't lived in Corinth. Tough church to help grow. So he writes to the churches. A few years ago, Ellen and I were visiting some friends who are missionaries in Turkey. We based in Ankara, and then we went to study the seven churches in Asia Minor. These are the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Every church is particular. Ephesus, you're working hard. You got sound doctrine. Ephesus, way to go. However, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. That was a word to a particular church at a particular time. That wasn't the same word to Laodicea. Laodicea's problem was, you know, you think you're rich, you're really poor. I wish you were poor so you could become rich. Totally different issues because it's a totally different context and, and, and people and movements. So think in terms today of local church when I ask these six questions. Let's take a look. All right, question number one. Is God's word faithfully taught and applied? Look at verse 42. And they devote themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Friends, there's so much we could say about the word of God. But please hear me, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1 through 4 nails it. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed, it is profitable. 2 Timothy 4, preach the word when, in season and out. Why? There's going to be those who want to just tickle your ear, give them sound doctrine. But James reminds us, don't hear the word only. Do what it says. And so, can I encourage you? When we put the word of God front and center, we stay God-focused. And that's the number one core value at Westwind Church. Question number two, is authentic community an ongoing pursuit and reality? And so where do I get that from? Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. 
It is a beautiful word, and some of you have language tools. Look up koinonia. Koinonia is an intimate term. It's a fellowship around the gospel. It's an intimacy because Christ brings us together, and all that means is sinner saved by grace. When we experience the grace of God, it causes us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is our brother, and the Holy Spirit indwells us and makes us one body. What a beautiful thing. I want to show you a video this morning that we put together. We want to tell more God stories as weeks go on. If you can't see the video, I apologize, but please listen in. This is the Elmet family story. Let's take a look. My name is Connor Elmet, and I am a member of the Sheldall Connection Group. A few weeks ago, I had the unfortunate event of stumbling down a few of my stairs and, and breaking both of my ankles. And Laying there on the ground, it's a little overwhelming to think about what uh, lies ahead, not just the immediate future, but the, the long-term future as well. I uh, was able to get inside and get to the doctor, got some x-rays, but while I was sitting there waiting, one of the first things uh, my wife and I did was reach out to our small group. And it's something that over the past few years has become far more than just a group of people that we hang out with and uh, talk about a few things with, but it's really become a family and a community. Uh, we've seen some highs and some lows and been able to walk through a lot of that together. And uh, we knew that in light of the current situation with broken ankles, it was gonna be an essential part of, uh, of getting through this. And so we reached out to the group uh, via our group me chat and quickly the prayer started uh, coming in and just offers for support. And very quickly, uh, it helped to calm a lot of those fears and doubts about what may lie ahead for us. And it was just overwhelming within a few days. Um, they had set up a meal train for us and kept asking, how can we help? How can we help? And it was something with pickups and drop-offs and helping with our kids. Uh, it just helped us to not feel, you know, so alone in all of this. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've had members of our life group over again, sharing meals, bringing us food, helping watch our kids, helping to, um, you know, just do all the things that we couldn't do with a very immobile husband uh, and father at home. And even beyond our, our small group as well, uh, we had a former neighbor help watch our kids for a few hours, another family in church uh, bring us a meal. And again, it takes a very scary situation uh, and helps to put that into perspective. And I couldn't help but be thankful uh, and just uh, grateful, not just to our, our church community, our life group community, but uh, just to the design of our, our Heavenly Father, knowing that no matter what we're facing, He's around us. And it's just very apparent that even if I'm not moving very well, God certainly is. Let's thank the Lord. That's a blessing. Shell Dog Group, you always get a little bit of press. No wonder your group's growing. But I love the final statement. This is a God thing, folks, when we live in community. Think about this fellowship thing. It means life on life, iron sharpening iron, just doing life together. So question number three, you should be familiar with this. Is relentless prayer foundational to the work of the ministry? Of course, this is another core value. We're just walking through Westmond's core values this morning. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. We get a sense that there were some specific prayers that they prayed, but they were a praying church. We've already looked at that. Acts 1, united in prayer. And friends, where do they take their cues from? It's real simple. 
Before Jesus entered public ministry, please don't miss this. I know it's just basic, but he spent 40 days praying and fasting. Why? He had to be prepared. He had to be vertical before he went over horizontal. He had to have his walk with his father calibrated. Jesus says, I only do the things I see the father doing. And it starts with prayer and intimacy. Then in Mark 3, a year and a half into his public ministry, he spends a night in prayer. He goes up to the mountain, he prays, comes down, and he chooses 12 to be with him. Of course, we've already reflected on this many times. And then in Luke, he challenges, and he's frustrated. He's angry. He says, my father's house must be called a house of prayer for all the nations. This is gospel praying. And so, do you see relentless prayer? I want to thank you, Westwind, for the past six months. It's been hard. We, we've already said that time and again. But you've committed a week each month to praying. Some of you have fasted. We've come here uh, every Sunday during that month to pray. Thank you. We see the movement in the right direction. Question number four. Are believers generous with their time, their treasure, their talent and touch? I won't belabor that because we've already uh, seen that. These folks had a spontaneous spiritual combustion. They saw needs. Barnabas is like one of the, the guys I just dig. Son of encouragement, that's what his name means. Takes some really good land, sells it off, and tells the leadership of the church, go bless in Jesus' name. Go give a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord. What a privilege, guys. You know, I met with a gentleman Friday night. We had dinner and we talked through a number of things, baptism, west wind, getting plugged in. I said, here's the deal. If 100% of God's people who call West Wind home lived obedience of faith, there would be an explosion like there would be in Acts 2. Finding our calling according to our shape, spiritual gifts, hearts, abilities, personality experiences, plugging into kingdom ministry, everybody doing their parts. What a blessing. And so many of you are doing that already. Question number five. Regardless of the situation, our family is being built up in Christ. You might say, where do you get that from, Pastor? Look at verses 45 and 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. And notice this. Broke bread from house to house. Why do I say building families when they highlight house to house? Friends, the home is the foundational place where the family gets built up in Christ. Do you believe that? It starts in the home. The church just comes alongside. We are a support. We are a complement. We'll do everything to help you be built up in Christ. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, parents, puts it on us as parents. We have the privilege to raise our kids when we rise up, when we walk along the way, when we sit down to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. And so we see that in the early church. They're meeting in homes. They're having meals. This is a family-based ministry. And what a beautiful picture. Now, finally, question six. Is the gospel proclaimed and advancing both home and abroad? Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a beautiful picture in 1 Corinthians 
three. You plant the seed, the seed gets watered, God gives the increase. They're planting the seed through ministries, through serving, through worship. They're living generously, time, treasure, talent, and touch. The seed is getting water. Who gives the increase? God. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's church, folks. I know it's ideal, and yet we should strive for it, to live and prioritize worship, to serve out of our shape. And yeah, if you're thinking about making West Wind home or uh, transitioning, moving somewhere, those are six great questions to ask from the Word of God. Are these things foundational? Let me close with a quick story. Worship team, you can come on down. You were eagerly anticipating that. By the way, great job or what? I told Brad I, I love the hair. I think I might take it down from a three to a two, a two to a one, a one to a point five, and then a Brett, a zero. Tyler says, don't do it. You're not that cool. Something like that. That was my interpretation. Actually, he complimented me. He's a, he's a haircutter kind of guy. So I have a lifelong friend. Just imagine being really green in ministry, but very zealous. I had zeal without knowledge when I went to Cincinnati. Kenny Metzger took me under his wing as an elder. He had two kids in our ministry. And uh, we're still friends. We see each other a couple times a year and, and just stay connected. He's just as a dear man. When I went to Cincinnati, um, I had the privilege to be uh, tutored under a senior pastor who just loved me, loved Ellen. They loved us. They equipped us for ministry. Bob Lowry's his name. But Kenny truly is, is, is the guy that I, I'll always remember because we run today. Kenny's been in the church in Cincinnati, his home church, after he came to faith in Christ for over 50 years. Why do I tell you that story? Friends, he's seen a lot. There's been some up times, super up times. We had a great 11-year run there. There's been some down times. Pastor Lowry told me the hardest time that he experienced in 40 years of pastoral ministry there is when they moved from the King James Version to the NIV. 40 families left, core families. They saw the difficult times. They saw the challenges. I was there for 11 years. We saw two disfellowships because there was unrepentant sin that was so flagrant and in our body, adultery and so forth. These were hard times. But as I talk to Kenny today and I see, because we go back to Faith Bible, we were there last December coming through, traveling back here and worshiping, seeing the church, going through the ups, the downs, and everything in between, staying the course. The Metzger family chose to marry the church and not date it. They're blessed. Their kids are in Christ, their spouses, their grandkids, and it's just a beautiful narrative. I'm not trying to persuade you, friends, for West Wind Church. That's not my, my point this morning. What I am persuading you for is marry the church, don't date it. Commit to a local church. Figure out the ups and downs. Grow into grace and knowledge. Be a worshiper. Be a contributor. And let's stick to the six core things that we find in Acts 2. Pray with me, please. Father, we stand in awe of you. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of your church, your bride. Hallelujah. 
that we could be the bride adorning ourselves today as worshipers, as servers, saying yes to first things. So Lord, help us worship now. Help us stand in awe of you. Thank you for this, this new space. Please, Lord, consecrate it for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, yes. Stand up. Let's worship together.